All right, everybody, we got Philosophy Friday. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. So I think today we have the setup for a truly controversial topic, or perhaps we do. I know we've wanted a little bit more controversy in the past, Brett, but at least on this topic, on the one side, we've got you, who basically believes in remote work very strongly. And on the other side, you have myself, and not that I don't believe in remote work, but for something that I'm calling like complex products within a zero to one sort of product situation. For me, I believe that in-person work is just more efficient and effective for, for, for me because I, I don't know how to do it in a remote work environment as efficiently or effectively. So anyway, just so everybody knows, the topic for today is going to be the future of work and really comparing kind of remote work versus in-person work. And hopefully we can get dive into a bit of detail on this and talk about some of the nuance behind the situation that we're in. But maybe what we could do, Brett, is kind of like start from the high level and work our way down. And so in terms of the high level trend, obviously everyone's aware we had COVID, which kind of put everybody into this suddenly being in a remote work situation and people have had to adjust. And I think what's happened is that a number of folks have said, oh, actually a lot of the fears or misconceptions or perceptions about remote work kind of went away. And there are a number of folks who now think that remote work is the best way to go. And then there's other people who still do prefer office work and believe that that approach is more efficient and effective. And Brett, I know one of the great things about having you speak on this topic is that you were an early adopter of remote work even before COVID. So I was hoping we could start there in terms of like the higher level trend, what your thoughts were in terms of remote work even before COVID and what do you believe given the current situation that we are in are, have been the biggest impacts? What do you think the biggest impacts to an organization are from going from a in-person to a remote work type of situation? Well, that's a lot to kick things off, JK, <laughs> but I already forgot what the first one was, but I'll just, I mean, so, I mean, the first thing is, is that I think obviously everyone's been thrown into remote work that wasn't already doing remote work. And I think in some ways that's great. I think for the employees, a lot of for a lot of employees that's great because they start to realize how valuable it can be to work remotely. They can get tax benefits by moving, they can see their kids a lot more, they don't need to commute, they can work a lot of different times. They just there's just a lot of benefits from it as an employee. So that's one. The other is the misconception that getting thrown into remote work is what remote work is. Right. And when I was thinking about what to answer this, it would be the equivalent of if tomorrow uh, something hit a new a new virus, God forbid, that forced us to be in the office. <laughs> OK, <laughs> my company would be totally screwed. Right. We yeah. live in we have we've got people in 17 different states. So to have us just start working in an office tomorrow would not work. It would take a very long time for us to transition. And I just want people to be careful about defining remote work as what they may have experienced over the last two years, because it really does create a system. It really is neat. You need a system, you need to prep, you need to build out the culture and the support necessary to make remote work work. 
And when that happens, it's great. Um, so I think that's probably two of the two biggest things. And I, I just, that have gone on in like sort of the last two years with COVID. Um, if you want me to talk a little bit, I'll stop there, but you did ask about why I went remote first, but yeah. we can get into that later. Okay. Okay. So maybe I could just kind of, from my perspective, like in, in just thinking more on a macro level, some of the things that I have observed and just by, you know, kind of speaking to other folks, talking to them anecdotally about, you know, what the impact has been for them in terms of shifting from in-person to uh, remote work. Some of the things that, that I believe have happened is one, one of the biggest impact, in my opinion, is this ability or inability to track hours, right? And so one of the things that happens when you're in office is everybody's in the office and especially in like open office environments, there's this level of observability, right? And so it's not like, especially in an open office, you're not gonna be like playing your music, watching a movie, you know, have your Facebook and all that stuff open all the time. Uh, or maybe you are if you're, you know, if your screen is turned away, but like, but there's, so, so one, I think that from a manager's perspective, there is kind of the shift from managing against hours to managing against outcomes, right? And so I believe a general shift in that direction, which then implies that if you're a bad manager, meaning you kind of depended on just seeing, oh, okay, these guys are in the office. I, I think they're, they're, you know, we've got an open office uh, environment. They're probably doing their work. Like that's not management anymore from a, from a remote work situation because you don't know. And so I think what that has done is that has either exposed bad managers or has exploited bad managers. <laughs> Meaning if you're, if, if you're working for someone who doesn't know what you're doing, like clearly you could be doing whatever. And I think the other thing that um, has kind of become apparent with remote work is that when you're in an office, you have essentially a controlled environment. Everyone has a uniform, consistent working environment. But when you shift to work from home or remote work, you've got all sorts of different situations, right? So you've got, you know, I'm, I've got my own home office. I can kind of work, close the door, but not everybody has that kind of situation. And so when I'm on calls with various people, you know, I can see like people in the background, sometimes people in their underwear in the background or like a, a dog or a cat or, you know, and like some people are in the kitchen, some people in the, in the bedroom. And so you've got a lot of heterogeneous working environments rather than like the in-office, very controlled environment, right? And so then you have to, um, be able to have to accommodate those different environments that we that you have, and I, I would say like the final thing is that the office imposes a level of structure and discipline, right? So you like you have to be sitting at your desk at least for the hours there. If you're in an open office environment, there's this level of observability, as I mentioned, so that that there's this level of discipline imposed upon employees. Whereas if you're home and nobody's watching you, now we're relying on individual employees having self-discipline. And if they don't have that self-discipline, it's like, oh, I've got all this freedom. Nobody's watching me. I can do whatever I want. Then 
I do think that, and, and, you know, this, it, it all depends on the people, but you can't count on the environment to, to impose the structure and self-discipline. You're now counting on the individual employees to have their own self-discipline and structure for their work. I don't know. Uh, Brett, would you agree with that? I mean, I'm just going to just throw this out there and kick it off this way. Yeah. Well, I should have done it earlier, but remote work for me is like one of those technologies that you see some people adopting that you're so confident the rest of the world will eventually adopt or mm-hmm. eventually like just everyone. Like it, to me, remote work is so obviously going to be the future. And I, and I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of the crazy man outside, like screaming that the uh, something's, you know, something's going to change, but it's so obvious to me, a benefit of companies yeah. once companies adjust to it. Like I understand why companies today don't do it because they aren't structurally set up to do it, nor are managers and nor are the people that work there, right? Like you mentioned all these things that pose issues to current companies that aren't set up for it. Mm-hmm. But once you build the systems for it, it becomes so obvious that remote work is the best option for businesses that I'm saying it right now. It will be the future of work and companies that do not adopt it will perish. Boom. Just, <laughs> just saying that. It's okay. not going to happen overnight. Yeah. It's not going to happen overnight. But I would say in the next five to seven years that remote work will become the majority of work for, and I'm, we're just talking about tech companies, right? We're not talking okay. about hospitals and, and people right, right. who have to actually use yeah, it. Yeah. And, but even hospital, you know, even a lot of the hospital stuff will get reduced dramatically. Right. But I, I would guess like in the next five to seven years, it will just become the majority of work will be remote, will be done remote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would... All the problems that you listed, I could, we could just go through and I can tell you how they can be solved okay. um, pretty easily. Yeah, let's let's t- dive into that then. And as far as like the first impact that I mentioned in terms of shifting from hours to outcomes, would you agree with that? And then in terms of the systems that you're describing, what do you specifically do to kind of track or to kind of manage the, uh, manage that? Okay. Well, the I mean, the first thing is is probably the the hours and the output. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we uh, probably the biggest thing is we just hire people who are getting work done, right? Okay. And it's like, well, that's easy for you to say, but we basically spend the first probably four to six months. We, I mean, you've probably heard of our onboarding. We hire people who are going to start doing work immediately. They don't have a lot of of other things they're doing, so we see their work immediately. And once we see that they're not very proficient at getting work done on their own, tracking their time and basically producing a lot in the first four to six months, we get rid of them, right? And so what you're gonna have happen, and it's easy for us to say that because our talent pool is 14 million contractors in the United States and beyond, right? We're now hiring in four different countries. So my, my pool of people is 14 to let's say 20 million people. Your talent pool is the people that are willing to drive to your office, right? So for you to go, well, we're going to get rid of this person because they're not competent is an unwise decision because you're, it's very hard for you to find a replacement. It's extremely easy for me to find a replacement because the talent pool is so much bigger. And so that unlocks this ability to basically let go of people who aren't disciplined. Okay. That is what you're saying is they're not disciplined people. They do not want to work unless they're being babysat. 
And for me, we just don't have a tolerance for it because we can't afford to. Now, specifically speaking in terms of time and output, we do track all of our time in Google Spreadsheets. And I actually really love that because I think time in tech work is like wasted inventory in a factory. It's work in progress that's just laying around that no one really tracks. And by putting in a spreadsheet, you actually can see as a manager, okay, we, we invested uh, $10,000 in that $30,000 project, or we're spending 20 hours because you, know, you can associate hours with costs very easily as a manager. And so you get a very clear idea of your costs, right? Like you could go look into and say, wow, geez, we're spending uh, 20% of our cost on spec, de spec designs or 30% of our cost on art. And so it gives you more details into your cost structure, which is great. And then in terms of output, we really solve that with that first four to six weeks. And once you hit that six week period, we just generally have a level of trust that you're producing. And if we do start seeing hiccups, we can go look into our technology to see how is your output, right? Like how is it stacking up to other people? And in general, people can kind of like, people know they can feel it because there's not a lot of like BS. There's not a lot of water cooler, all hands, all this other stuff. You can really sense it very easily if someone's a producer or not a producer. Right. So if, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like what you're saying is that you do observe at least initially what the output of new employees are. You probably give them specific targets in terms of deliverables, do X, Y, Z, and then you kind of watch their work, see how many hours there, I guess they're self-reporting hours. And so they, they might say, I spent 12 hours to create X, 20 hours to create Y, 30 hours to create Z, for example. And then you, because you know the work, you, ha you have a sense of whether that was a reasonable amount of time and what the level of performance was for, for those tasks. And then as, as they, as they kind of prove themselves, you can then like ease up on the kind of observability aspect of it. Is that, is that right? Yeah, pretty okay. much. And we, we rarely check the timetables or anything like that, unless you sort of start sensing as a manager or as a boss that there's something wrong. And then you have, I think you have a great diagram later about this, then you have the tools necessary to go look and see. And right. I think those tools are going to get more sophisticated. For example, we use Upwork and Upwork has some a lot of tools like they do screenshots and things like that where you can see what people are working at their computer. Okay. I don't think that's necessary in higher level tech companies, but if that's a big concern of yours, those tools are there. And they'll be they, they, they'll be more and more of them as remote work becomes a bigger component of the workforce. Like these tech tools will start arising like Upwork yeah. does where you can just like see their screenshots. Like, okay, you work these exact hours and here's a screenshot and here's what they produce. And it'll become much easier for a manager to kind of dig into that. But I yeah. think in the beginning, you can kind of build that trust in the first four to six months and just kind of establish this person as a producer. Because I think one big difference between our company and I think maybe some other companies is we believe that humans do want to work. And they want to work in great environments where they're challenged and they're they're valued and they're pushed to a certain extent. That's my theory. And so we're trying to create that environment. I think other companies, you know, maybe not think that way. I think in tech, we're just fortunate to have like sort of good work to do. But we try to create that environment. And then we kind of believe like humans will work because they want to work in a way. Right. So I actually don't disagree to i mean i think we're, we're actually agreed to to a large extent in terms of that aspect like so for me i also believe that in a remote work environment uh 
that, you know, you like one of the points I, I, I was making is that it, it does shift from hours to outcomes in that I, I do think that if you're going to be a manager in a remote work environment, that actually has a few different impacts. The, the first is that I think managers are going to have to get better at setting what those targets are. What should the expectation for employee output look like? And then two, those managers would need to, in order to really observe and see if, if employees are doing the, you know, are being productive and to evaluate the performance, they're going to have to have a better understanding of work deliverables in terms of the inputs and outputs of those deliverables, which I don't think at a lot of large companies, if I'm being honest, there's a lot of managers who have never done the work of their direct reports. They don't understand what it takes. They don't really know. But again, that kind of is mitigated in an office environment when they're like, okay, you know, Bill and Sally have been at their desks for a long time. Working, they're working hard. So something like yeah. that. And I think- what Oh, go ahead. But that can be replaced. I mean, you just hire someone remotely and then, you know, see how much they're getting done. Yeah, well, And right. I bet you they're getting done. And the other thing is, is I, I don't necessarily think you need to know. I think there's, I mean, there's a difference between good managers and bad managers and good managers should know to a certain extent what their direct reports are doing. I mean, they may not have to write the code or, or do it, but I mean, they should be knowledgeable about some of the things that their reports are, are doing. And in that sense, I don't necessarily think you need to know exactly how long it is. I think you, you, you can, well, no, I do. You don't have to tell them, but you need to have a sense of it, right? Okay. And so you yourself should have a sense of, man, this took, you know, this generally is going to take 10 to 20 hours because if I did it, it would take 10, right? And when it takes 50, that's when as a manager, you go in and you start asking questions like, hey, why did this take 50 hours? Right. You know, and you can open up the spreadsheet and then you ask them like, there's nothing else to do here except when you can go see. I mean, the thing that's beautiful about this too is when you are at an office, you're so many other things that someone could do in 50 hours. When they're remote, if they're working 50 hours, like you you should be able to really stack up like in the 50 hours I was working on this project and it's like, okay, well, why did it take 50 hours? Well, I struggle with this. Why didn't you ask a question? Well, da, da, da. and if those things are piling up, then you know that person's not a really good fit or there could be something that you need to course correct, or it could be an honest problem. Like I really couldn't figure out this one thing and da, 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 da. And I think you can also, you can outline those in the, ahead of time, right? Like, hey, I expect this to take 10 to 20 hours. Once you hit 20 hours, like ping me, you know, right. which is a nice way to also control costs as a manager as well. Right. Yeah. But I, so, but it also sounds like we both agree in terms of the importance or criticality of observation. And in my belief, you know, very similar to physics, I believe in something that's called the observer effect, because, you know, in physics, it's believed that an observer actually affects the outcome. And I believe that with employees as well. And kind of like the physics example, I don't know if you're familiar with the Schrodinger's cat experiment, but, you know, Schrodinger, like according to this, this physics concept, believe that if you put a cat in a box with a radioactive material, and then that cat has a 50-50% chance of survival, that observation actually impacts whether that cat lives or, or dies. And like, when you observe- This is a really interesting metaphor for work. 
<laughs> and so like the cat actually exists according to, to you know quantum physics the cat exists in a state of being both dead or alive until the observation happens and then it goes into a specific state so i mean the high level thing for me is that like physics and you know according to the observer effect in physics is to believe that the observer impacts the outcome right and so i believe also for employees that there has to be some kind of observation system of some kind now it's it it doesn't have to be a complex system but like there has to be some level of observation in order for the outcome to be higher right and i, I think even for myself like if if nobody was watching me if nobody you know i i, I think the fact that i know that i'm being observed and I force myself to be observed in terms of the transparency that I provide employees at my company. I think it forces me to be more disciplined and it provides that structure that I wouldn't have, let's say, if I were in a in an office environment, for example. Yeah, I completely agree, but I don't think you need an office environment to do it. And I think actually yeah. an office so, environment uh, is, is costly mm -hmm. and provides proxy variables. So what you're trying to observe is the value created by the employee and the cost of that employee, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what you're trying to observe, right? The, the ROI of that employee and, and as it pertains to the greater like company. The ROI, the, 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 the value is the work product. So I don't care if you're in a simple or complex system, there should be some work product that they're creating. It could be code, it could be art, it could be a spec, it could be a math analysis, it could be a strategy, it, it could be a report. It doesn't like it, it and we're again, we're talking about tech, okay? So it, it, ha it can be, that's the value that they created. Now that you have track time, you can see the specific cost that it took to create that thing, okay? So now as a manager, you can judge that person on the most important thing, which is they created this thing, mm -hmm. And it cost us 10 hours of time times the hourly rate of this person. Boom, right? You have it. And what is so bad about the office in in-person office proxy variables is oh, I'm I'm staring at someone, so therefore they're working. One, a manager walking around the office staring at people and calling meetings is really fucking expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So you're stripping that out. You're getting rid of that expansive, expensive, expensive manager that I know you can't stand and I can't stand either. That just yeah. like schedules meetings. Hey, JK, how are things going? What have you been working on this week? Like, yeah. fuck off, dude. I'm working. Like I would <laughs> like to be working right now. Right. Yeah. And two, it doesn't base the value created by looking at someone staring at a screen because someone staring at a screen, I can tell you is spending a lot of time on Facebook or wherever else they're spending it on. Like something, you know, probably, Probably not Facebook anymore. Let's just be honest. Yeah. But some, <laughs> something else, you know, yeah. that's not valuable. They're yeah. just sitting there, right? And when you take out the sit, you actually make it harder for the employee too. Because when you take out the fact that they can just come to the office and put their face behind the screen and everyone thinks that they're working, they actually have to produce too. So it's actually a win-win. Yeah. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that the for for me the benefit of the office isn't because i think people should manage by hours instead of outcomes i do think that just generally speaking office no office managers should be managing via outcomes i'm just saying that remote work kind of shifts them towards 
outcomes rather than ours. But maybe one of the things we but could talk... It's oh, all easily solved soon. That's what I'm saying. Is like the problems you're listening, listening to me, it's like I get why companies don't do it today because they don't yeah. have it, but it's... So maybe we could get to the part where I think that we probably disagree the most, which is, you know, because you believe that all work eventually, well, not all work, but uh, generally speaking, all work besides, you know, the type of work that you have to physically be there should be remote. And the distinction I would make would be, be. sorry, will will be. be. Okay. Okay. Will be. Will Will be. be. So the distinction I would make is that for a type of work that I'm just calling like complex work, meaning where uh, you've got, you know, long time duration projects, plus you've got work outputs, which may be more variable in nature, or actually not variable, nonlinear, nonlinear in nature, and in which there are a lot of interactions required by a lot of people. I think those are the situations in which, again, I'm not saying it can't be done remote. I'm just saying I don't know how to do it remote. And, you know, as an example, when I was at FunPlus working on King of Avalon, we initially started with a work situation where we had four different offices. You know, I mean, two main ones and two small ones. And eventually, there was just so much friction and miscommunication that I eventually brought everything into Beijing. And then we became so much more productive, efficient, effective. And just because for me, the type of product in which you've got a lot of different disciplines and it's not relatively straightforward and there's a lot of changes and iteration happening that again, for me, I, haven't been able to figure out how to do that in a remote work way in which there wouldn't be a big gap in terms of output, productivity, speed, unless we were in person. But I I don't know what you think about that. I think that when you're creating something, as you say, zero to one, Mm -hmm. right? I think that that's probably the best case for being in a work in together in a working environment. That said, if you're planning on just creating a company and ditching it, then I think that's totally fine. I think if you want to create a company that is going to survive just creating that zero to one product and on, continue to go on after that, which a lot of startups don't, a lot of startups are just trying to go for the five-year plan, which is fine, then it's not necessary to really build a super proficient system because the value you're, you're going to create with that product is going to outweigh the crappy operation system that you built, which we see over and over again, right? I mean, how many startups do we see run, bl- blow it out of the gate in the first five years and then peter off pretty quickly in the next two to five years after they get sold, right? So I think that's I, the best, I best thing is the best argument for being all together because you don't really care about the longevity of the company. Right, well, I Beyond guess- Beyond that. Yeah, I, I guess what I would say is like, if we were to shift to like, let's say we achieve product market fit, product scale, figured out that part of it, then if you were to ask me in live ops, do we need to be all in person? I'd probably say maybe not. So I'm not, I, I thought yeah. we were going to disagree more on this, but maybe Well, maybe I'm just we saying that's the strongest case. I still wouldn't do it. Okay. You know, and that's because you're trying to create the greatest product in the world, right? Like you're trying to create the greatest shooter game in the world, right? I mean, is that what you're trying to do? 
Uh, ideally, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a very difficult. Do you think that? Product, what do yeah. you think is? What do you think is better? Okay, being able to hire anybody in the world, any single person, or being in an office together. Being in an office together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, what what would be so great about being in office? In, I mean, what yeah, what is what is because it's not an individual sport. It's not like the quarterback can win. We need the whole team, and we need a lot of different disciplines as part but of. You that still team. have this whole team. What is what is it that? You still have all the disciplines. What is it that being right next to somebody adds that much value? Well, because sitting right next to each other, sitting right next to somebody. Yeah, because right? the interactions are me. so fast, and because uh, there are a lot of different disciplines that may all need to dynamically interact very quickly, and that you know maybe there is a world in the future in the metaverse of some kind where, you know, art and engineering and Dude, a producer okay. can dynamically just kind of meet instantaneously and, you know, kind of like, like on work video? almost in a real time environment, in which case, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't need everyone in the same office in that case. But I would say for me personally, the, the kinds of communication required and the amount of stuff where it's helpful, not just to like, talk but you know have like a uh, like a you know like a blackboard and be able to write stuff in you know right there in person very quickly like there are so many of those types of meetings and conversations and interactions that again i'm not saying it can't be done but i've never seen a team do it in terms of the zero to one new game development context maybe they're out there but i i, ha I haven't seen it and i haven't been able to figure out how to do it yeah, I just, I, I well, I think, I, I don't think that what you're talking about is that valuable. And I actually think it's detrimental to, to creating a zero or one product. Uh, I, I, because I think in general, those interruptions are extremely costly to creating really great work. And I also think that what you're talking about is something that may create value in, you know, in, I, I assume like, you know, if you're in person, you probably have better interactions if you're going to try to brainstorm or something, but those brainstorming sessions, like, I don't know if I personally find them to be better remote, like, uh, not personally. I mean, I, I've done both. Um, and I think in-person meetings are are actually one of the most biased areas of work beyond interviewing. I'd actually say the second most biased place. And so you get these meetings where you have people screaming or aggressive or good at verbal negotiation or taller or bigger or whatever. And those people went out in person. Whereas if you, if you go remote and you sort of separate that and I mean, we don't have meetings as well, so we can go, I mean, obviously we don't want to talk about that, but, um, you you remove a lot of those bias and then you actually come to better decisions because you're allowing that person who's super quiet or super thoughtful or takes two days to come up with a decision yeah. to actually think about what they're talking about. And the, those conversations are actually better 
Because when I'm commenting on something, I actually think for five, 10, 20 minutes to think about how I'm going to, how I'm going to respond. It's, it's similar to a podcast, right? Like we don't just jump in a room and do a podcast. Our podcasts are better. If I think about what I'm going to say, I comment on it. You think about how you're going to respond to that. You comment on that. So the quality of the conversation, the quality of the brainstorm or whatever is much better than if I just spew out my thoughts like that, you know, and you spew out your thoughts. It's just one second of prep for those thoughts. And then what's generally guiding the decisions is, is kind of like these, like I said, these bias. So, yeah, I, I think for me, it, it really does come down, like the way that I think about, especially creating new game product is that I view it as a series of pretty major challenges and the speed at which we can execute against those problems and finding solutions Again, you know, for, for, for me and my experience and the teams I've worked with, it's just been better in person. And um, maybe the one thing I will say is that I do think if I had to and stack the one experience order, you've had, the one remote experience you've had is what? This four different offices? Well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Like if I had to stack rank what, what, my, what my personal experience is, it, it would be, I would probably stack rank it as in-person first, fully remote, and then at the very bottom would be like a two-office situation, <laughs> which is kind of what we had at... Um, and have you ever done fully remote? Well, we're doing it now. You're fully remote now. Yeah. I mean, we okay. can't... We, we, <laughs> that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but again, it's like getting thrown into fully remote without without really prepping for it. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I do think that there are benefits to being in an office, right? I, I think that you do get that sort of emotional connection. You get some of that um, chemistry. But when I look at all of the positives to having remote work versus all of the negatives to having someone come in the office, it's very clear, at least to me, that remote work is better. And a large extent of that is the cost savings, which as a startup, you're not that cost conscious uh, because you've raised money and you're kind of just trying to get this product market fit. Although I could be wrong about that, but it generally doesn't seem that way uh, for startups. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess I do kind of agree with you that I, I'm I'm gonna say again. I think that the the case where I think it makes the most sense is when you're like going from zero to one and you're 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 you've raised four million dollars. You don't really care about cost <laughs> again, and you're just trying to you know you got the five year plan, right? Mm -hmm. Which which you just don't put a lot of value on having a great operational system because you're not that concerned with cost, and um, you're willing to spend to get people. You're willing to be kind of frivolous with spend, right? Like you don't really care. Well, I mean, there's plenty of stories of startups getting all the stupid office, like the crazy stuff in the office. And that does work for a little while. So yeah, I agree. But I, I mean, beyond that- <laughs> Well, I will say it sounds like this- I still wouldn't do it. I, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. do that because I would. you would have a longer, you would have less burn rate. You'd have less reliance on your investors. Um, you would- you would be able to retain more value from your company and you would be able to hire anybody in the world to do this stuff. And I, I generally put value on deep thought work over like right. 
the chemistry <laughs> that you create. Yeah. And I personally don't think that interrupting your devs go, yo, dude, I have this really great <laughs> idea for, for, for the shooter. What do you think? And they're just like coding the idea you told them a day ago. And they're like looking at you like, right. Fuck you. I'm, but I'm, I, I think this I'm is the topic listening. we probably disagree the most on, right? This and maybe maybe Elon Musk or something. <laughs> So, no, I, so it's I good. It's good. We have differing on opinions on this. Yeah. I, I think that's great. It's just like I, I. It's so bizarre. I mean, I shouldn't probably, but it's like I'm. It's so, almost obvious to me that remote work <laughs> is the future for any company beyond what you're talking about, and even your company. Yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, dude. What if COVID never ends? Okay. So you're telling me, like, do you really want to not be prepared for I didn't, the I didn't, next COVID? Yeah, I, if COVID never ends, I mean, I didn't say that. I didn't say that we can't do remote work because that's what we're doing now. We're making progress now. I'm just saying yeah. that the if if I'm thinking about how to be as effective, as efficient, as productive as possible for me and how I know how to do things, then I need everyone to be in the office together or the majority of the people to be in the office together. And one thing we did also do at Phone Plus is we did have, for certain roles, we did hire people that weren't um, in off, like fully in office, but they would live somewhere else and come in for like two weeks every couple months. Yeah. And so- Love and spoke model. Yes, something like that, which I think is fine. So we we have a plan for that, which we're calling the superstar model, where for certain specific key roles, not for every role, but for like two, for two specific people, we would try and hire anyone in the world, but we would ask them to come in for a couple of weeks every couple of months. I would almost do it the opposite. I mean, if I were to do it, I would, if I was going to go hub and spoke, I would go the opposite. I would actually outsource a lot of the rem like sort of remedial tasks. Like I would have my core be in an office and then I would have like, hey, I want this uh, background built or I want this character built. And I would have all that outsourced remotely because you can get so much benefit from that and it's very task oriented and that's much easier to outsource. So I would probably flip that on its head. I mean, of course I would let some, you know, I would, I would let some talent in as well because then you get the benefit of being able to hire anyone in the world. But I would err on the side of having those people in because theoretically they're the ones who have like the creativity and creativity is very valuable and it is sort of the secret sauce to going zero to one in some ways, the execution being the other part, which I think you're compromising on by not having a more efficient or yeah. more uh, streamlined system. But um, I want to yeah. hear from the audience. So for anyone watching right now, zero to one new game development in office or remote. So make sure you comment or, or send us a note on it's, that. <laughs> it's like getting to the point where I just want to start a company to just like prove everyone. you should like gaming company should. gaming. Like I just want to like create, like I don't, Do it. <laughs> I don't think games is a great business for me. Um, but it's like, I just want to do it to just be like, listen, you can do this. I mean, yeah. I've done both. I've made games yeah, yeah. in office I, I think you and should. my, you know. <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I mean, no, we were going to talk about linear and nonlinear. And I, I, I do think that, do you want to talk about that? At oh, all? we could. Yeah. So, I mean, I, one of the ways in which I 
define complex work is essentially like for certain kinds of work, I think the difficulty lies in, okay, so let's say we're moving bricks, right? So we, we've got we've got workers yeah, who are I moving 50 linear. bricks from I, point A to point B. I understand linear and complex. No, no, I'm, for our audience, but I know you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm explaining for our audience. I think our audience does too. <laughs> okay, Is this okay. how you manage? Do you explain, <laughs> do you explain your subordinates? Like, how much time do you waste explaining like shit like linear versus complex to people? Okay. I just want to know because if I was at work and you're like, hey, um, I'm going to give you this metaphor for what simple and complex means and then spend 10 minutes telling me about bricklayers, Okay. Well, like, okay. So, applying, what do you think? I'd be applying to liquid and grit. That's what I would do. I would do like. <laughs> okay. So, what are your thoughts on simple versus complex work? I think all, all, all these. Yeah. I, first of all, I don't think that anything we're doing is that complex. And second of all, I think everything that's complex can be broken down into simple linear things. It takes longer time period, but you can create a car through a factory on a linear path. Okay. But that's so, a, creating a car is this, is simple work. Creating a car. I mean, it's a pretty complex thing. To so, so I, you, so you didn't understand what I meant by nonlinear. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's a complex. It's, it's, it's like complex? let me give you a better example. Design what is complex? A, compose a hit song. Composing I a mean, hit song, you may have no, you may have no output, no output, no, no output, and then you have output. When you when you're moving bricks from A to B, it's linear. Nonlinear means you could have progress, no progress, too. loss of progress, and then you have progress that's what no, I, mean. I i understand what you mean but if you okay. can still break down composing a song into components right i mean postal service was an amazing album created yeah but they're going to be the components service. of that which are unpredictable in terms of the output well you i mean that doesn't make them complex just because the output well that's what i'm saying is that's how i define complex but that's not complex I mean, that's, I guess, like, complex is that it has, like, a lot of different variables. That's why You're I was explaining that... my definition of complex. <laughs> it's, it's a wrong definition of something. You're, you're saying that you have variable output. No. Non, yeah, nonlinear output, where you might have very little progress than sudden progress, or you might have progress, you might have even a reduction in progress in some cases, and then suddenly you, you've got the progress, right? And so that would be something like, you know, let's say you're trying to design a new control scheme or a new mm -hmm. like gameplay mechanic, and some of them might work, or sometimes you, they spend a lot of time and suddenly they actually achieve that result or not. So they're sent back to earlier steps in the process? You usually not, but sometimes yes. Like, like if you can, I mean, if you couldn't make a control scheme work, then yeah, then then you're 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 back to square one. I mean, tell me a specific example. Like, you're making a game right now. Is this is a game a complex thing? In certain cases, yes. So, for example, like the design of a system in the game, or let's say we have a uh, we actually do have a specific gameplay mechanic that we're unsure of, so we're going to need to prototype. And as we prototype this, this specific gameplay mechanic, you're like, we're not sure. Is it going to work? I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. How much time, like, I can't say, okay, guys, you, you will t it will take you eight days to design a hit gameplay mechanic in our game. I, I, I mean, who knows? And they might make, like, very little progress, 
and then some progress, or they might make a ton of progress, but that last 20% takes them a really long time. It's it, that, that's how I was defining that. Right. Well, because that kind down, of work though. is very Thank difficult. Yep. Let's break it down. I mean, one you're saying is that you're producing things that may have defects or may not. So it may be that has risk earlier stage. I, I want to, yeah. I, yeah, I wouldn't characterize defects, but risk. Well, I'm just, yeah. I'm just translating into sort of operational okay. terminology, but it gets sent back to an earlier stage. Okay. So if you're designing something and then you create it and then you test it and it's not working and you need to rebuild it, you just go back to step two in the, in the very linear path. Right. So you're, you're saying your, your system has a low it has a high defect percentage, right? But it's still going to follow a linear, linear path. And then you're, and then no. you're saying that because well, here, here's the is, thing, because like, it's going to go, it's going to go on a linear path. It's going to go step one, step two, step three, back to step two to three to four, back to step two to three to four, five. Right. So, so Brett, like you're right. thinking of this in a very reductionist way. Dude, stop. I mean, Stop with the frameworks. Just tell me a scenario that we can break down. Well, okay, so so let, let, like okay, let me explain to one, it. One, like everything is like it's so not. So the 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 thing that the thing that you're missing about this, Brett, is that. Tell me exactly when you think what about you're it, talking about. I, I'm I've made to. a game, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying, trying to understand I'm, I'm, I'm how trying. you're give, making give, a game differently. Give me a second. Give me a second. When you're trying to create a hit game, okay, you have to also take a holistic approach because you can't you can't engineer. Right a hit game from step A to Z. So let's say this game mechanic works, then you might have enough to make a hit game. If it doesn't, you might have to put your effort into something else, into a system, into a different compulsion loop, into like, that's why it's, it's complex because it's not only this part, there are interdependencies and there are nonlinear, the, the output in terms of some of the, the components that you're trying to design will have non-linear inputs as well as outputs, right? Or linear input, non-linear outputs. I mean, okay, you have a game, you have an idea for a game, but beyond once you establish the, the idea of the game, you have to break the game into pieces that you have to build, right? Like you would have to build the engine, the characters, all these different things, right? Once after you design yeah, the if, concept, if all I it, wanted to do is build and launch a game, of course I could do that linearly. Absolutely, could do it linearly. Now, the moment that we're talking about building a very successful, top-grossing game where you've got competition, you've got to understand whether, like this, this, this is the art part. The art part is understanding: do we have enough, and do we have something that's compelling to users so that they would actually want to spend money and it's, it could be successful. That's the part right, but that you can't that, just say, let's break this yeah. down into steps one through 10, and then we're just going to do all the steps and we're going to have a hit game. If it were that easy, everyone would have a hit game and they don't. Well, breaking things down into steps is extremely difficult. That's why people don't do it. It's actually super hard. Um, so I, I understand why people don't do it and people hate doing it. And that's why people just go around being managers and offices because actually breaking down steps into to really small components is actually extremely difficult. And, and that's kind of why I generally feel like people don't do it. I mean, it's, 
humans just generally want to get going. They just want to do it. They just want to like start acting on it. And the, all the things that we do to break things down is extremely difficult. It takes it takes months for us to break every single step down into components so that we understand how things are built and how it's linear. Yeah, and so I guess and, and the that's more complex an, the system that it gets, the harder it is to do it. But and, yes. and I, there are parts of the process that are nonlinear. I understand what you're saying. It's like if I thought about the process and I'm thinking about the process now, there are components of it that leverage human creativity and human emotions and, and that second side of the brain that we've talked about. Those will be built into the system. It's not like you can just say, but they're not, you know, even great writers or great artists they work every single day and yeah, it might take a little while for them to create something, but it still sort of follows a similar process, which is like you get in a, a music studio and you start making music, right? Like you don't, so there would be parts of the process that would probably be like this bubble where it would say like, this is the nonlinear sort of creative part of it. But then once that creative part was, was done, it would go right back into a linear process, which would be write the spec, like tell the art team, so uh, I guess I, I would have a, I understand somewhat what you're saying, but those could be like, those could just be parts of the process. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I, so I, I guess like where we would probably differ is that, and, and we do believe in reductionism. We do believe in breaking down uh, higher complexity into component parts. But we also believe in holism, meaning like we have to also look at the entire system as a whole and try to understand whether, like, let's say we did, if we didn't work out the gameplay mechanic, whether there's something else we can add or other things we can do from a holistic perspective to make this thing a, a hit game or not. And for, and, and because like, because we have a lot of those types of conversations and things like that and because it is that complex that's one of the reasons why you know we like to have people in the same office you know that's and again i i'm not i'm not claiming that it has to be done in the office and we're not doing it in the office right now but i also just think we're not as as effective as we could be if everyone was together does everybody is everyone involved in that holistic process because it's or is it mostly Paul and maybe one or two other people? We try and get people as involved as possible, but nobody owns the, the holistic vision right now is owned by Paul. And um, uh, yeah. So why does Paul need to be in the same office as other people if it's kind of just owned by him? Well, I mean, that's uh, where it's like, yeah, that it's not. So to me, art is, a, is, a, is a, art to me is really this holistic process that you're talking about to me is more so done on an individual level. You know, if I think about a great artwork or an artist or a musician or whatever, they're going to create that pretty much on their own, like with some, maybe a few people, similar to like music, right? Like they're going to have a two or three people, around mm -hmm. them, but it's going to be like this small group of people in the studio. And in general, they're going to go off and write their lyrics or think of their ideas and things like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't so much conflate the notion of working in the office with the concept of product complexity, or my definition of co product complexity. Uh, 
but um I mean, I think the music one is actually a good metaphor for it. I mean, to create a great C, like CD, create a great song um, or album, right? It's like there, there's going to be four people in the studio creating this thing, and then it's going to get chopped up by the editor. It's going to get like the producer is going to look at it, then the person who's going to create the album is going to look at it. Like, there's all these components that go beyond that, but the like the course the core album is created by this small group of people that are going to create this holistic view of it or this this artistic creation process and what and then you know maybe even there's one person who sort of does all that but beyond that then then the whole process follows a pretty linear path right and that's how i think about the creation process is yes maybe there is i generally feel like it's more of an individualistic thing where someone's going to be the really the writer or the creator of it and maybe they have some type of coach so it's like rick rubin which i love that video you sent and mac miller Right. And there's two people working on it or it's, you know, whoever it is, it's a team. It's run DMC and and uh, Rick Rubin. But then, you know, they're going to create this this album. And then after they've created this vision of the album, it's going to follow this linear path. And yeah, what you're saying is maybe it gets through the linear path and then some exec decides that they don't really like it and gets sent back to the studio. And then that five person group's got to do the nonlinear path again. But really that nonlinear path component of it is just one little part of this l- more linear path. And I do agree. Right. Like well, I, but I'm also saying like even the outcome is nonlinear, right? Or in the sense that like, it's not like we can say, okay, um, you three guys make a hit song and then out- and outcomes, you know, a number five top song, right? It might be, it might be number one, it might be number 10, it might be number 200. Like you can't predictably say, go make the top number three song. You know what I'm saying? So, so that that outcome is is going to be variable. Well, of course, I mean, we can't control the yeah. outcome. But we can better control the outcome if we have a good process, I think. And I think particularly if you're making multiple ones, right? And again, that goes back to, whether or not you're actually planning on making more games. I mean, if you're planning on making more games and I, I agree, like if I was in your shoes, how much would I invest in the process? I probably wouldn't invest a lot, nor did I invest. We actually do invest a lot in our processes. Okay. Well, um, okay. Well, I, I, I probably would invent, invest less on making it, um, reducing the cost of it, I guess because you're only making one of these games probably every couple of years. But over time, I would probably try to operationalize it because that's, I mean, really the longevity. If you, if you, if you go out 100 years, right? Let's say you go out 100 years and we're looking at your company on a 100-year time horizon. Let's say your investors are, are interested in getting their payout in 100 years from now, right? So that means you're going to have to create 20 of these games, okay? And what you're telling me is that the creation of these games is really dependent on these people like sitting in a room and like having this, you know, this moment of, of um, genius, right? That as much as you're the manager of this hundred year plan, you're going to want to figure out how you can really operationalize that. And that's why companies like Starbucks or McDonald's and, um, Amazon and some of these others do so well is because they can control the the quality of the output because they've 
create a system that's repeatable. And so I think that's what is so important if you want to have a company that's going to last 100 years is like you want to, as much as you can, be able to control the quality of it and reduce the cost of it and creating a linear process as much as you can. Maybe it's only 70% or 80% or 20% or whatever, but the more you do, the more the company at a higher level has control over the cost and the control over the quality. And those two things are extremely valuable to, to creating a sustainable, long-term, high-value company. Yeah, and maybe it's another topic, but I, I do think that that's another challenge, right? I mean, I mean, maybe aside from Nintendo, I don't think there's any games company that has kind of stood the test of time and has created a organization that can reliably and predictably create hit products. Probably Nintendo, maybe like even Blizzard's starting to lose its way now, right? Where they've stopped cranking out hits, but you know, maybe may a topic for another, another well, I think time. that's really, no, I think that's super okay. important to our listeners because you're reliant on talent. And when you rely on talent, mm -hmm. talent kind of owns your company, right? Because once talent walks out the door, you don't have a company. If you don't have, you have the product that the talent created and you can, you can, basically farm that as long as you can farm it, like you're talking about maybe potentially some companies have done. But if you are relying on talent to create the thing that's going to create you a lot of money and you can't replace that talent, then you're screwed, right? And so that's what successful companies figure out is how to reduce the re reliance on talent. That's why Starbucks, when you go to Starbucks, you get the same exact coffee in the Starbucks here as you do down where you are because they've reduced They've eliminated the need for a talented barista to make you a perfect coffee. They've made a system so that the coffee is exactly the same here as it is down there. And that's allowed them to scale, create predictability, lower cost. And so that's why it's so important to be able to do this. And um, I think, yeah, actually think, um, yeah, I'm not going to name names because I know you know, like, you're know, you like, well, but there are some mobile gaming companies that have done a good job of creating, uh, that have produced results after they've IPO'd or after they've gotten pretty big. Um, and on I the live ops side, that, for sure. I 100% I agree on the live ops side. Yeah, well, I mean, even, yeah, on the game side, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell because the, the industry is kind of young, so it's hard to tell, but you're right. It, it's, it's a very hard problem to, to solve, and it's extremely hard when you only produce, like, maybe two of them a year or one of them a year or whatever. Um, and generally, when you get bigger, you try to rely on different skill sets. So you start relying on M&A or you start relying on distribution or some other things because you, you remove the need to use talent. The problem with that is it's hard to do. And that's why you see so many companies start out, blow up, and then the talent leaves. And then the company has to now become a big company that relies on a different strategic tactic to be successful like M&A and distribution or whatever it is. And they struggle to do it because it's very hard to shift culture and shift uh, sort of the tactical advantages that you have. Okay. Right, Brett, maybe I could ask you about, so when I talk to a number of companies, there seem to be some recurring themes in terms of some of the big problems that they have come across when it comes to remote work. And maybe I could get your feedback in terms of what you think of these problems. 
And probably the ones that I could think of, there are three problems in particular. And so starting with the first one, and especially at larger companies, kind of problem one has been that a lot of these, the employees of these companies after remote work have complained that they are just deluged, and this is especially at larger companies, by Zoom calls from nine to five, just fully stacked up with Zoom calls because... You know, I guess maybe they're used to talking to one another at the office or these checkpoints or whatever. And so it's just like stacked up with Zoom calls. I don't know if you've talked to other folks or companies that have seen a similar problem, but I, I feel like that's a pretty recurring theme that I've heard from, especially folks at some of the larger companies and including those that have recently changed their name. But what do you think, Brett? I mean, the problem is meetings, not whether it's remote or in the office, right? I mean, right. Just, so you think it, that's more of a, that's a solvable problem. problem and more of maybe like a, like a process and kind of work philosophy problem. Uh, it's, it's, it's more of a communication problem than it is a, okay. whether you're not, you're at the office or not. Right. Because when they go in the office, they're going to be meeting in person. It's probably less exhausting because they're not staring at a screen the whole time. And they get to talk about their cat or whatever in person and walk from room to room. But it's still a lot of meetings. I think probably to solve that is to, I, I think you probably remove some of the people. You probably have too much like layers and layers of people. So you're, you're, you're probably too much overlap. And then the other is just clear communication. It's like, hey, we need your team to do this. Have it written down. So you can tackle it. And um, I, these changes are extremely hard to do if you can't have it done from top down. And right. I've sort of learned this the hard way because these changes are things that I guarantee listeners out there are going, but I like meetings, Brett. And I always equate it to donuts, right? I, I like eating donuts. If you don't tell me that donuts are bad for me, I'll eat donuts all day long. Meetings are kind of the yeah. same thing. I mean, people are just going to do what's easiest and what they like unless they really understand what the cost is. And donuts is pretty clear. You're going to get fat and potentially die from a heart attack. With work, a you know, low-level worker at a giant company is not going to understand the cost or the impact, the negative impact that an, an excess meeting is going to have on the whole entire company. And so you need somebody at the top who really understands the P&L and understands how that impacts the bottom line and how that impacts stock price and all these other things to kind of come down and be like, we're cutting... 80% of our meetings right now, you know, right. because that person, everyone's gonna be like, you're an ass. But the reality is that person is actually saving the company and making everyone a lot of money if they don't, if they do it right. And so they're in the end, not going to be an ass, but for a little while, everyone's going to think they're an ass. So you just kind of need somebody who's got the, the guts to do that. Okay. Problem two. So some employees have completely slacked off in cases or, or in certain situations, they have found that some of these employees have been working multiple jobs, like two jobs or in one case, three. <laughs> what, what, what do you think about that? I see no problem in the second. I'll just answer that. I mean, if they can get their work done, I don't care if they work 10 jobs. Why would it matter to me? I think that that's a good example of companies caring about things that are not... are not necessary why do you care why do you care where do they work why do you care what they look like why do you care what they wear why do you care why are you caring so much about these things all you should be caring about as we just talked about is their cost and their output if they work 10 jobs i don't 
doesn't really matter to me. My suspicion is that in these cases, their output probably wasn't being observed or wasn't being tracked. And then when Which they found the south, so, I, so yeah, I mean, Which is I, the more important problem is, is the tracking, right? Yeah. Whether they work one job or 10 jobs is irrelevant. Yeah, I, I think this is as much a managerial problem as it is an employee problem. On the employee side, I would say the issue would be more from like an IP, IP perspective. If you're working for multiple companies, let's say even in the in the gaming industry, if you're working for multiple game Google, companies, there's certainly yeah. like a IP issue, right? When when people when employees sign an employee contract, and so let's say you work for company A and company B, company A launches a hit product, and company B says, "Hey, that employee was working for us. I'm going to sue you for fifty million dollars now." Yeah, um, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, put in your contract, you can't work for other people and have them working hard enough that it shouldn't be, it should, shouldn't, yeah. I mean, okay, that maybe that's going to happen. What was what was the other one that uh, you, people slacking? Is that what the other thing is? Yeah, or? yeah, I, I think that's more of a managerial. And I have one, one, yeah. other, one other problem too, yeah. maybe I could get to that, is that in some companies, especially with new graduates or some of the younger employees, they actually want, to social, they're the ones who actually want to go into the office because they don't know anybody. They and not and both from a socialization perspective and for wanting to get training. And I, I don't know, you know, like we we train remote, but may, maybe not all companies are adept at training remotely. I don't know. What, what what's your take on that? Uh, to to borrow a word from your company, fuck them. I mean, I don't think that. <laughs> I, I, I think that, and I, it doesn't have to do with their age or anything like that. I'm not saying like, I'm just saying like, I fuck them means like the fact that people think that businesses is supposed to provide them with social is complete bullshit. And of course, if, if most people, if you say you can come to work and get paid and socialize all day long, they're going to say that's great. Right. Yeah. Like, I get to go get paid and talk about my cat and dog and the weekend all day long. Sure. But what they don't realize is your company is eventually going to fail. They're going to get laid off and they're going to lose their job. As a leader, I mean, we, we want to talk about boss, uh, Jocko, as a manager, as you need to be the person that makes sure that they do the thing that in the end is going to be the best thing for them. And in the end, making them get their work done when they're at work and creating more value than they cost, substantially more value than they cost, is the best thing for them if they want to keep their job. If they don't want to keep their job, then you don't want to have them hired, obviously. But I think that stuff is such bullshit. I I, I think that the, oh, but I really love, you know, talking to people. I mean, of course you do. So do I. I mean, the funny thing is, is people will go, well, you have a bright, you don't like meetings. That's the complete opposite of the truth. When I get on meetings, I'm chatty Cathy, you know, blah, blah, blah. people don't want to meet with me. So I'm protecting myself from my own weaknesses. Humans have substantial weaknesses. And as businesses, which are not humans, we need to build systems to protect our the, the business from the weaknesses of the humans. It's like having parts of, you know, any part of the business, you want to, you want to protect yourself from weaknesses and issues from it. So yeah. I shouldn't say fuck them, but I, I try to be extreme in that case because I feel like people are so accepting of that, okay. particularly in America, 
I don't know, you know, but it's just like, it's something that should not be acceptable. You know, it's just, okay. it, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, we might differ a little bit there in that we are a little bit more empathetic to socialization. <laughs> just not saying just much. because, just because. Say you're... We, uh, I think we talked about this before, right? Where the difference in, when we talked about work-life balance versus work-life integration, where we actually kind of believe that, you know, in, in terms of that, that third nuance with respect to work-life integration being about socialization. And then, um, and, and then what, what about training? What, what do you think is the role of, of training? And do you, do you think it's a fair argument to make, or maybe not a fair argument to make, but do you see any inhibitors? Like, why would people not be able to train over Zoom? Is maybe that's not even a fair. fair yeah, I don't see any issue excuse. to it, and I actually think that training is much more important for companies that don't go remote because your pool of talent is much smaller than mine, right? So therefore, you need to work with the small amount of people that you can hire in your area. So it's necessary for you to build training so that you can get somebody to do the thing that you need to do. Whereas I have a pool of, let's say 20 million people. If I'm good at finding people, I there's less reliance on training someone because just mathematically, there's probably a good amount of people out there who definitely can do the thing that I need them to do for whatever reason. They have a random set of you know life circumstances that makes them amazing at the things that I want them to be amazing at and I just need to go find them. So uh, that's one of the cost benefits or one of the yeah cost benefits that you receive is going remote. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up. Right. Any final thoughts? Yeah. I think that my, after talking to you about this, I think you make some great points in that if you are thinking about your company and basing the, sort of future success of your company on the ideation, the creative process, the artistic amazingness that happens when you're working together with a small, really talented people, right? Like if you're in a music studio or if you're creating a great game, then I think that then that then remote work is the least valuable in that scenario. Also, if you have only have about a five year time horizon, right? Like, I personally want to work on my company for 25, 30 years, potentially even, you know, 30 years. So I, I have a very long t time horizon thought process. So of those two variables, then I think remote work is the least valuable for it. Okay. If you, however, are trying to create more of a system that you think is going to last longer and you want to get value from other areas like operational excellence, then I think you should seriously consider the benefits of remote work because if you sum up all the benefits, I think they greatly uh, outweigh the benefits of being in an office. Right. And I think to some of the points that you made that I hadn't thought about is like assuming in success, we achieve zero to one, we create that hip product and now we're live. Then it's like, oh yeah, in live, do we have structural advantage by being in person or should it actually be a remote situation? And in the case in which remote makes more sense, which theoretically I would, you know, at high level probably agree with you that, you know, one to end, once we're live, remote probably does make more sense, then 
in that scenario, we should think about what impact does that have on our company and how do we continue to invest and harden our remote work policies? But yeah, or yeah. if you're thinking you want to do this, you want to create five new games or want to do this for the next you know 20 years, I think that would be another reason why you'd want to really sort of start thinking about how you operationalize creating new games. All right. I think that's it. I think we went over on time, but until next time, everybody, Philosophy Friday. Catch y'all later. Bye.